All right, thank you for joining the Gazebo Effect today. Uh, your host is Tim Duncan, and joining me is Spencer Price. And today we will be talking about the, uh, the movies of Tron. so glad you're back. Oh, yes, yes. I'm back from my long hiatus. You know, COVID can do that. You know, Tim just, he hated movies so much that he had to leave the podcast for a while. Uh, <laughs> I, I hate it and kind of love it at the same time that you brought that joke back. Uh, but um, to all of our viewers out there, um, it is a joke. I do love movies. I don't hate them. That's what he always says. All right. Uh, yeah. Great start. <laughs> uh, so Spencer, do you know when the first Tron movie was released? I believe the date that it said on Disney Plus was eighty. Might have been nineteen eighty-two. Yeah, I think it was. I think it was eighty-two. Um, right. It, interestingly, uh, the the Tron arcade game was also released in that same year. Uh, and it was, um, it was released after the movie, but I believe it was, um, it featured the, uh, like the light runner game and the disc game. And, uh, so some of the main parts of the, the movie that made it interesting was in the arcade. And I think it was used as a way to promote the movie, kind of like, uh, like toys sales or merchandise in a way. I thought that was interesting. Oh my gosh, interesting. What a shocker! Yeah, yeah. What a shocker, though. Disney commercializing a movie. Yeah. But like <laughs> in the '80s and Tron, that makes that's that actually is very interesting. Mm-hmm. Tron, I it weirds me out. Like it astounds me that Tron came out of Disney. It yeah. It doesn't seem like time. a Disney film. Not at all. I can't think of another production company that it does seem like, but just it doesn't seem like Disney. At that time, anyway. I mean, it wouldn't throw me off, not in that year or that time, but Lucasfilm putting out, like, a Tron movie or, I don't know. Yeah. But not Disney. Yeah. But I'm happy Disney made it, um, just because it's, like, a technical feat, and it's it's a film of time, you know? Mm-hmm. And then the sequel is just a masterpiece in terms of effects. Yes, if nothing else. Uh, we'll talk about we'll that talk more about in that a minute. Uh, but I do agree in uh, masterpiece and effects and sound. Um, and that's it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, something else interesting um, that uh, came about from the Tron movies. There was a uh, Tron series, an animated series, um, that I did not know about until I got Disney+. Plus. And... Uh, I, I fell asleep watching one episode, so um, I, I don't think it was great. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but um, the uh, the it's called uh, <laughs> uprising, right? Yeah, um, it's, it just kind of talks about the uh, um, the resistance uh, during Legacy um, and how a lot of people didn't like the uh, the new government and the system and everything. Um, but then there was also a uh, an app game um, that was created about it featured like the light cycles and stuff like that. It was really fun. Um, but strangely, that was that was it. Like this kind of seemed like one of those movies where a, a video game would have been really cool or um, uh, something like that. But even even the uh, the TV show um, like. Yeah, no one knew about it, I don't think. Um, didn't get like any publicity or marketing. 
And it seems almost like this series almost seems like a, I don't want to say wasted opportunity, but it seems like it could have been much more. Yeah, I feel like it's, uh, like they were like, Disney was like, new sequel to Tron, shoot for the stars, but not too far. <laughs> you know, we believe in you, but only a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I would kill to play an RPG game in the grid. So, can you talk a little bit about the plot of Tron? Yeah, um, and by yeah, I mean, I was going to ask you that, because <laughs> I definitely wrote in my notes, so what is the plot of Tron? Well, I think we could just go back and forth and just ask each other what the plot of Tron is, and for, that would almost explain the plot more than watching the movie. I think you're right. We shouldn't have even watched the movie. We should have just, just asked each other the whole time. Uh, That's what we'll do next time. Yeah, yeah. We'll just talk yeah. about a movie we neither of us have seen, and we'll just be like, so what was the plot of blank? Honestly, what was the plot that's a great blank? idea for a new series. Just watch a movie and then, or don't watch the movie. No, not, just go watch the movie. off the title of the movie. <laughs> I think, I think we, just, we just landed on a bombshell, Tim. And, you know, in the editing room, I don't know if this part is going to make it or not, um, but... It should definitely be at least a deleted scene, because this is, this is gold. This is gold. <laughs> I mean, I'm writing it down. Oh. Right now, as we speak. I'm recording. Oh, I think you got me on technology there. <laughs> All right. Okay, so, so the uh, plot of Tron. Yes. Uh, Jeff Bridges, who I will likely always refer to as Jeff Bridges, he worked for NCOM which is not not Apple. Are you saying you Steve Jobs? Maybe. Maybe we'll get to that in a few minutes, Tim. Oopsies. Whoopsies. I'm just kidding. <laughs> so he worked at, the, worked at NCOM, and he made, on his own time, he started making his own games. He started working on his own programming, which I don't understand if NCOM is supposed to be like a tech giant like Microsoft or Apple or it makes video or it's a video game company maybe back then they assumed it was going to be always both I don't I'm not sure about that because now we live in a world with like video game studios and yes Sony is sort of making the game but they're also like paying other people to do it so he makes these games and then this really boring guy named Dillinger steals the games and puts his name on the sticker and then he makes NCOM super rich and he becomes like the president of the company and, and gives Jeff Bridges the boot. And then Jeff Bridges in all his coolness makes his own arcade. And is just trying to hack the system to reclaim his property. Yeah. Reclaim the name of the Space Paradoids back from Master Control, who's running the whole and com grid at this point yeah and then he gets sucked into the grid through Encom's weird molecular digital technology which they tried too hard to explain so <laughs> i was actually going to talk about that too uh because you you were talking about what the company of Encom actually does and uh if it's a technology company or a video game company uh but along those lines, we can talk about this uh, this laser thing that the female character created. Because um, honestly, the, the machine, uh, I don't think, has any purpose. Because um, <laughs> it literally, it, what it was, the example it was used for in the movie, we had an orange and the laser not disintegrated, but brought it to nothing and then brought it back it to an orange. To something, yes. It and, digitized uh, it. So, like, it didn't teleport it. Um, it literally made it nothing and then made it something again. Uh, and they actually make a joke about it because she goes, here goes nothing, and then the doctor's like, well, actually, it's here comes nothing, and... Here goes something, or something like that. And uh, the only reason that machine is in the movie 
is so that it can later just finagle in a, a weird system of transporting someone to the, the computer grid. Um, I, I did write this down based just following that thought that the entire movie rests upon the desk and computer station being conveniently placed straight in front of the laser, which turns things into nothing. Yeah. It's only, as you said, it's only function is to turn things into nothing. Let's just put a, some high-tech machinery right in front of it. Also, Hopefully um, nothing happens. It, was, it was explained that time works different in grid. Uh, like it's, it's uh, like an hour in the grid is seconds or minutes in the real world. So what I want that was the second one, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. And I want them to create a movie or a TV show talking about the adventures of the orange that they made into nothing and then into something. Because he was at least in there for a full feature-length film. Right? I think it was in the grid, and it had to have done something. Maybe meet the VeggieTales or something? Maybe this... I want the annoying orange Tron cut of Tron 1982. Yes, where it's just the Orange and Tron, the adventures of Orange Tron. Orange and Tron. Or maybe, no, Tron's not there yet. So it's Ram. It's got to oh. be Orange and Ram. Oh. Oh, man. man. I'm just... Just them talking in jail. <laughs> is this the Spencer and Tim Tackle Show, or is this a writing room episode? I mean, who's to say? <laughs> we tackle the writing room. <laughs> Yeah, we're tackling the writing room. We're taking it over. Ram and Orange, Tron, the prequel. You know, that was such a good bit. I, I wish I had actually written that in the notes because that's good. And now I don't know where to pick up from. <laughs> um, Flynn has got to be the coolest antagonist, but he doesn't make any sense. Kevin Flynn, I mean. Uh, what do you mean? Well, actually, the words that I wrote down were, so cool, man. Because he puts man at the end of every sentence he says, and he just suddenly becomes cooler. Well, so he's, he's programming, and the programming sequence with him and Clue is kind of weird. Mostly just because the animation is a mess. Yeah. In the original Tron. It's hard on the eyes if you hadn't seen it in 1982. And, of course, I, I did not see it in 1982. So I actually watched it for, uh, for the first time about um, probably 10 years ago with my parents, and uh, I enjoyed it. There's bad effects, uh, but I actually enjoyed it more this time around, um, mainly because uh, I focused more on the story aspect uh, when I watched it. I tried to, and it was a little bit better, but... The effects were not good. <laughs> Something I will say is that they just went through an extreme amount of effort. They had no CGI. They had no motion capture. They went through like a ridiculous amount of lens changes to make the effects seen in the grid. Yeah. And so that's just, I mean, hats off to the people who made that movie because that's just an extreme amount of work. Like, I would probably put it in the realm of stop motion animation or something. Yeah. Based on just how much they had to do to make that look happen. Are the outfits super, 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 super cheesy? Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, the second one kind of picked up where like, what if we just didn't have helmets? Or if we <laughs> did have helmets, they like covered the whole face. That's a good idea. So maybe the first one could have benefited from that, but that's okay. Um, one, one thing... We should talk about... Yeah. Okay, go ahead. Well... The, uh, the people on the grid, um, it, it just made me laugh every time they tried to run or walk um, because it was like they were acting like they were in a hurry, but their body wasn't moving like it um, or, or something along those lines because it's like they were kind of running slash just flailing their arms slowly. Um but it was almost like they were also running, um, but also just in the open and not really hiding, but they were trying to hide from something and get away from something. But also, it didn't actually seem like anyone was chasing them. Um, but also, no it was. was just like this 
there was no actual danger, but they tried to make it seem like there was by just moving their legs. Um, but I, it, it was just painful, and they need to watch Tom Cruise run to learn how to run. My, my counterpoint to that is everyone needs to watch Tom Cruise run to know how to properly, properly run. Yes. Because Tom Cruise runs in an angelic form. I, I try to mirror no my running attain. form after Tom Cruise. I, I try my best, but I really just can't do it. Indeed. And, I mean, we know that Mission Impossible 7, 8, or 57 will be just a one-shot where for two hours where Tom Cruise is running, and then he jumps on a motorcycle, and then he leaps over a car and then runs again. And it's just going to be that for like two hours. And r right so. now we know that the one of the greatest montage scenes in movie history is from Rocky during his training scene. But really, in the last Mission Impossible, when he's just running and stunts and uh, riding motorcycles and everything, that is going to be the greatest montage. When he's just running from the grocery store to uh, a nuclear bomb, to punch a guy in the face, to pick up a gun, to uh, kiss a woman. Ah. I'm still trying. To, I'm still trying to figure out what part of a Mission Impossible movie would include Ethan Hunt going to the grocery store. Um, I don't. I don't know. Um, uh, <laughs> I don't know. We should Tron. probably talk about Tron. <laughs> yes. So in the so in the one grid, other thing I was gonna say. Yeah. I was gonna say one more thing about the effects. And it's something that Legacy does, but not as much is that when the scenes are in the real world, they try to do this, like... I mean, they do deliberate dark shots and, like, the Encom building is all neon-y to kind of, like, blend the real world with the grid. And I just love when they do that. Are you talking and about more little... in, the, uh, in both films? Yes, but the first one started it. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Like, how much of Tron 1 is in the day? the end scene yeah i think that's it well and, and that's how they even, did the second one too even when um when the mcp uh uh called dillinger and dillinger was in the helicopter the helicopter had so much red neon lights on the side and everything it looked straight from the grid yeah that's a very good thing to point out that's just one of my favorite things because like I think Tron fans have a lot going for them. I don't think I can consider myself a Tron fan, but there is a lot to love about these movies. Yeah. What were you going to say about the, the grid? The old um, yeah, so just to kind of set the scene of the series, if you hadn't seen it, um, the, the main characters are transported, uh, or main character, Flynn, is transported to a digital state called the grid. Now, the, in the first movie, the grid is ruled by a program called the MCP, the Master Control Program. And basically what the MCP does is it gets programs from businesses at first and uh, captures them. And the ones he captures, the programs are either um, believers in the users uh, and if, if they are, then they are sent to the games. And um, the games um, mainly consist of uh, weird um, lacrosse target, I guess. Um, <laughs> I, I'm going to talk about this one briefly. Well done. Uh, because lacrosse target, um, they have a lacrosse stick. I, I don't know. Um, and they are trying to sling a energy ball into the other's target ring. If it hits a target ring, that ring disappears, and they're trying to eliminate the other person. When that other person is eliminated, they're derezzed or dead. Um, and then another game is uh, Disc Wars. So basically, two people, uh, one or each of them has a frisbee and they're trying to hit the other person with the frisbee. Um, and they can block the other frisbee or 
um, throw it. Um, and then the third uh, game that was featured is light cycles. Each person uh, is two teams. Each player has a light cycle or a motorcycle. Um, and in the first one, in, in the first one, I actually think the game was more designed and cooler than in the second one. But in the first one, there. Disagree. Okay, we'll get to that. Sorry, continue. <laughs> but the uh, the first one, they. Uh, they went in straight lines, and they could um, turn left and right, or go forward and stuff like that. Uh, and they have a—they're trailing a beam of light behind them. And if their opponent hits one of the beams of light, um, they're derezzed. And um, uh, that's the—that's the three games. And so the MCP is trying to control these programs or eliminate the ones who believe in the users and he's the mcp is trying to also go from uh, business programs to government national defense kind of reminiscent of war games a little bit and um the the users are programmers in the real world but one thing i liked about the uh the programs uh, all these games are pretty athletic. I mean, the, the one that's not athletic at all is Light Cycles, but you you see a very select type of person riding a motorcycle, and these programs don't fit into any of those categories because um, these programs are portrayed as nerds. I think it was Flynn asked, maybe it was Tron, uh, Flynn asked one of the programs what type of program he was, and are you talking uh, about ram uh yeah yeah i'm talking about ram and he asked him what type of program he was and he just started getting all excited and telling him about it and everything but it was totally portrayed as a, a nerd type character they're just so naive too where he's like i was an insurance program you know it's really important to connect to yeah. <laughs> connect people to all their future insurance needs yeah ram <laughs> is the best character of tron and other than Tron, and I'll stand by that. Yeah, and Spencer, do you want do you want uh, talk to the audience about Tron's character? Yeah, I would love to. So basically, Tron is a program created by Alan Bradley in the real world, and he's actually and this movie does this really well, where it's kind of like the Wizard of Oz effect, I guess, where the users that create the programs is the same actor that plays the program. And so the Alan Bradley actor is playing Tron. And so when Kevin Flynn gets into the world, he thinks it's Alan. But he's like, how do you know that name? He's the name of my user. But they try to sell Tron as this... Why like, did you say that why name? Why did you say that name? It's... The second one is, is better by far at this, but they want to sell Tron as this like great computer warrior... But I don't know if this movie actually succeeds at doing that. But either way, it's still entertaining because Tron is just a... He's a great character and he's inspiring and he brings hope. And he, of course, fights for the users. That's, that's his base. His base two protocols are fight for the users and blot out all of the... Like... Bad programs. And, yeah. like... And uh, take away bad things. So master control is one of those things now as it's gone corrupt. Yeah. And he was tasked by Alan to destroy the MCP. And um, through the help of Alan, his, his disc was um, given the power to, I, I guess it was given it like a virus or something, to destroy the MCP. Um, and it was because of that that they were able to beat the MCP. It's definitely um, weird that they I, agree to this plan, like, without even talking about it at all, though. Like, Kevin Flynn's yeah. like, yeah, I made this video game. He destroyed it for me. I want the rights back. And then the girl's like, well, what are we waiting for? And I'm like, you are committing, like, 
actual felonies probably like you should not be yeah. this okay with like yeah let's just go hack apple and take out their com- entire master control program no big deal it, it was oh, well it was kind of weird because it was almost like the things that were set up in the real world were only set up there to get them into the grid yes like dillinger was a bad guy because he stole the guy's idea um and then i mean like you said the girl was just she was there to get them into the building um and then alan's part in their plan once they got in the building was just to go sit at his desk and then we randomly hear his voice at the communication tower thing well so alan Um, had to send in tron like he didn't have the clearance to send in tron before right so that's that's part of why he had to go to his desk um but i think that brings us to a good point though the uh like flynn and tron had to work together um and when they escaped the grid it was it was flynn tron and ram uh rip ram seriously ram died uh he was a great guy though um but for a little bit, Flynn was kind of on his own while Tron and a uh, girl figure that name doesn't matter. Um, they they were just kind of not. We're not we're not trashing around. on woman, by the way. They the movie no, literally no, 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 no. the movie does not go through the trouble to give her any kind of character story. Yeah, and in the second movie, I don't think she was ever brought up either. No, she was not. Anyway, okay. moving on. Just want to make sure I was right on that. Yeah. So for a while, Flynn and Tron were separate, but then they meet up, and um, it, it takes the the combined power of Tron, who had the disc that could defeat MCP, and Flynn, who is a user. Um, now, in this world, since users create programs and such, they are... Um, basically gods in this world um they they can manipulate things um uh, a lot of their things are just they're just naturally better um but they can like in in the first one flynn um bent a beam of light and everyone was like what you can't do that how'd you do that and he was like ah physics duh um but physics it, duh i think man. it i think it explained that they have more power in the second one more um in the first one they just kind of talked about how oh users oh we worship users um and treated programs who support users uh as religious um but it was interesting that it took the power of a user flynn and a program, Tron, to defeat the MCP. I do like that. Another part of that split part of the storyline that I really liked was really everything Tron did, but the scene with Dumont. <laughs> and it's the oh, weirdest thing. <laughs> I just enjoy it more every time, just because it's, it's so weird. But I guess there's these waypoints, and once you actually end the MCP, all the, they open up again, because they're opening up the connection to all the users again. But yeah. the Dumont is this ahead, but he's the old guy that founded NCOM's program. And he's like, so, uh, I used to believe in the gods, and well, I used to believe in the users, and I don't anymore. And help us, Dumont, help us. <laughs> it's just, he's just like, okay. It's just, I love it. It's great. This is going to be hard to explain with just our voices, but... Dumont, in his little seat chamber thing, was just really funny because at one point, um, the girl like touched his face or something in like a like a daughterly way or something, and his little hands <laughs> couldn't reach her, and so they're just like, eh, eh, and they just like moved up and down on the little counter thing. <laughs> Yeah, because his body is not it looked, there. It's just a head, hands, and a weird, like, hat. And I was almost disappointed 
later when they showed him in captivity just standing like a normal person. And I was like, oh man, he's not just the guy in a chamber. Man. <laughs> but Tron's the best. And, and of course the end of Tron is the iconic Tron shot where he's holding the disc into the beam of light. Yes, and I've actually always associated that scene also with Star Wars, because the uh, this, like the one of the posters of Star Wars is Luke holding up the um, his lightsaber with Leia lounging by his side, and it always reminds me of Tron with him holding up his disc and his girl by him. Fun fact. <laughs> I I do know I do notice that. And I think Star Wars did it first, but I associate the look more with yeah. Tron because of uh, Chuck, actually. Oh, yeah. Because he has the classic uh, Tron poster. just a poster in his room, right? Yeah. Chuck's a great show. Oh, yeah. <laughs> just, just saying that. But yeah, if you have 90 minutes, Small plug. specifically if you want to see the scene about Dumont, I don't think you'll regret it. You might regret it. But who doesn't regret watching Tron in 2020? No one. Uh, just to wrap this part up. Yeah. Um, so it ended in with the scene in the grid with uh, all of the access points to the outside world transitioning from red, which is bad controlled, to blue, um, uh, since that they're free. Uh, and all of them are blue. And everything in the world is blue now. And then in real life, Flynn wakes up and gets a fax message that... Uh, <laughs> Such a great throwback. I, I don't know how this worked, uh, but it got a message that says ownership of Space Paranoids, uh, the game that he wrote, is his, and it was stolen by Dillinger. End of, um, end of line. Yeah, yeah. And naturally, everyone in the world believes this, this piece of paper that popped up on a printer. But yay! He is now the head of company, and it ends basically with him coming out of a helicopter and hugging Alan and, um, I, I really am sorry, but the girl. I, I truly don't know if it ever mentioned her name. I feel so bad. I'm going to look it uh, up. Okay. Um, I love that he says, uh, greetings programs. Just awesome. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, oh, also, of course they think that Kevin fact, Flynn is a nut, but all the same. Oh, Yeah. Uh, fun fact about the first movie. I don't think... Well, the uh, Alan and the girl are husband and wife. And, I thought they were just dating. And she was... Uh, that might be. Um, but um, she was Flynn's ex... Um, or ex-girlfriend. And, her um, name is Laura. There and was her a little bit character's of flirting name is uh, Yuri. What was her so name? Her name is Laura, but her computer, her program's name ah. is Yori. Okay. Um, but there was like a little bit of teasing back and forth between all three of them. But then um, when Flynn in the grid meets her, there was also some teasing and stuff. Um, but then uh, there wasn't a single kiss until she met back up with Tron. And she kissed him and was like, I thought you were going to die. Uh, and that was it. That was the first kiss of the movie. And I just thought that was very 80s. <laughs> but um, as we go into talking about the second movie, um, do you think it had an appropriate name or do you think it should have had a different name? Now, I want to talk about this part before we actually talk about what the movie's about. Sure. So... I would say that the theme of Tron, regardless of its craziness, I like that they've really stuck to like a certain vibe. And so I think Tron colon something is a good format to follow Tron. I don't think it should have been Tron 2 or something else. Now Legacy, I think is an appropriate title because it's following Sam Flynn. I just, I don't know what a better title okay. would be, personally. Well, yeah, 
<clears throat> I don't know what a better one is, uh, but as I watched this, I just, I just thought it was kind of funny that the movie title was Legacy. I was thinking something more along the lines of Tron, or Flynn, Tron, the Flynn story, or two, something two Tron, like that. Two Flynn. <laughs> uh, the the main character, well, is not Tron. Do you want? Yeah, it's it's Flynn. It's or, Sam Flynn. In the second one, yeah. yeah. Uh, one thing I thought was really good about the second movie, it brought back the actor who played Alan and Jeff Bridges. Yes. Uh, I thought that was really cool. It was a very... It, it set itself up as a very good sequel to the first one. Um, because Dillinger's son is part of Incom. Sam Flynn is uh, Flynn's son. And kind of set him up as like a rebellious, adrenaline guy who's disinterested in the company but also does things for the company in his rebellion. And Alan Bradley... And Alan is like a father figure. He's on the board of income. Yeah. Yeah. I want to say this for sure. I don't think there is a better... I really can't think of that many better intros to movies than this one. Oh, genius. The, the, whole, the whole Jeff Bridges saying the grid and like... What they look like? Ships? Motorcycles? Oh, it's fantastic. And then it bursts through with the beautifully crafted, the best part of this movie, Daft Punk's Tron score. But with the theme that they oh, made. Oh, so good. And then it has the sideways Tron and it just like flips through. Oh, it's so good. So good. Uh, so something, <laughs> when I watched the second movie, I just kept on thinking about how, uh, how Jeff Bridges intro to this movie made the first one it, his introduction was better than the first movie yeah it made it, made it more um, nostalgic for sure like it, it made it set up the the world for newcomers but for people who had seen the movie it was almost like hey you know this movie you saw well it's better than what you saw <laughs> But it still got a nostalgic factor. <laughs> oh, it was so good. But then they immediately follow it with the probably the oldest example of de-aging technology we've seen. Uh, yeah, and probably. It's, it's not good. <laughs> I mean, it, I can make a defense, like, but I don't want to. Tell, it, you can tell it was Jeff Bridges by his voice. But I think, other than that, it looked like a different person. I think they could have... They, it's like they were like doing the side shot, you know? And that looked good. You know, it looked okay. Yeah. And I was like, that's smart, because they don't... Jeff Bridges is older now. And then they just, like... Like, on the same team, he turns and looks at the camera. <laughs> I was like, no! Why did you do that? But in one of the flashback scenes with uh, Flynn, Clue, and... Tron... Uh, Tron it, I think they used de-aging for all three of those characters because it looked like Alan from the first movie too I think he looked a little older I think they didn't try to do as much detail because I was looking at them side by side yeah, and yeah. Tron in 1982 I mean Bruce Boxleitner he looked very very youthful and the Tron in the second one yeah. like the flashback Tron doesn't really I don't know he looks a little older, yeah. but it's still really good. Like, it looks far better than Kevin and Flynn and Clue. Yeah. So, in, in the first scene, Flynn um, is telling his, his kid how he created a program called Clue, which looks at, like him. And it's there, he created him to govern the grid in his absence when he can't be in the grid. And Clue's in the first one. Clue's in Tron 1. Towards the beginning. Yeah. So it's not like a new thing, which is why there's a yeah. clue action figure also. Mm -hmm. And then we've, we uh, flash forward a little bit and Flynn's gone missing. Um, no one knows where he's at. Uh, and then enter Sam Flynn, who's riding a motorcycle. At um, night and in a neon city. Yeah. Again. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and he... Sneaks into Incom and does some computer stuff, 
and uh, sends Wait, their stop, new... Wait, stop, stop, stop. Right when he enters income, you know what I noticed? That I wouldn't have noticed if I didn't watch him back to back. The door... I do not. The door is from the first one. So when they hack into the door on the first one... No, they didn't. So they hack into this giant door, just giant orange door. And Kevin Flynn says, that's a big door. Or maybe he says big A door. I'm not sure. But then when Sam hacks the same door, I mean, it's a different terminal, but he hacks, hacks the same door, he says... Now that's a big door. I didn't notice that. Huh. I know. I felt so I felt so good about myself. I was like, I gotta talk about the door. Okay, please continue. So uh Incom is just finished a uh, new product that is one hundred percent intended to make money. C- consumers and make money. The one uh, Alan actually asked them like what's the difference between this one and last year's model? And they said, oh, we slapped a 12 on it rather than an 11. And uh, so it's just there to make money. It's a greedy company now. And Alan's trying to prevent it from being greedy. But Sam owns most of the shares. But he doesn't want to be part of the board. And that's that's it for In the Weird World. Well, um, we learned that... Oh, there's a parallel. There there's more? more parallels. Yeah, I got more so oh. he jumps off the building, which is super cool, and he starts going on a run or whatever, and the helicopter flashlight stops him, and it's like a parallel because when he goes to the grid, the exact same thing happens with um, the tank, flying tank machine. Okay, yeah. So, yeah, just another cool thing. But yeah, basically that's it in the real world. And of course, Alan got a page or something, and... Sam finds his dad's old super cool office and a laser and just happens to turn on the laser. You know, so, great, great protagonists make huge mistakes. No big deal. As we uh, talked about in the first one, how things just happen to move the, the movie along, a cluster of things like that happen in this one. A host. It's, <coughs> it's, it's, definitely, uh, it's definitely following the first one's method in that case. So the... the First thing that gets the movie rolling is uh, Alan gets a page. Uh, and yes, you might be wondering, a page? But it's in the 2000s. Yeah, that got brought up. Um, doesn't matter. Uh, but he got a page from Flynn's arcade uh, building, which has been closed down for 20 years. And he doesn't go check it out. He sends Sam to do it. And... Sam, uh, like you said, sits down in the chair and starts typing random code and randomly activates the laser thing. Why is that laser in the basement? We just have to assume that it was, it's only there to transport, uh, Flynn back and forth, but also just how how did he, it's, it's weird, but here's the thing. It was later revealed that Kevin Flynn in the grid did not send the page, and it was actually Clue. But we also know that Clue can't go to the real world. He needs Kevin Flynn's disc to do that. So it brings up the question, how did Clue send a page from the grid to the real world? Follow-up question. Clue... By being able to send a page through a machine, probably means he has access to a little thing in 2010 that did exist called the internet. Maybe. But I don't know how pages work. (laughs) I also don't know how pages work. (laughs) So maybe he was able to do something as simple as send a page. I mean, it's, it's fine. So, in the first movie, it was mentioned that users are like gods. And in the second one, it's shown that they are. But really, who has more power? Someone who is talked about like a god and randomly shows godlike power? Or a computer program that can send things from the grid to the real world? I think kind of Clue. But I don't know. Because none of that part it just didn't make any sense. Anyway, we're going to move on. Yeah, we're, uh, we're running short on time, so we need to 
kind of run through some of the stuff. What is something? So some things that we loved about uh, Tron Legacy. Well, I'm gonna kind of sum it up. Um, I think the story, and I, I think you might think this is weird, but I think the story in the first movie was okay, um, but the effects are trash. The effects and music in the second was amazing, but the story was fine. For an example, Daft Punk is so good in this. But the uh, the storyline with the ISOs, alien things, uh, just... I, I stopped worrying about that plot line because I just... It didn't really make much sense at all other than a reason for Clue to take over. And then the, the storyline of Tron turning bad uh, and then being a good guy at the end um, was just uh, funky um, because for one thing his bad guy character of Rinsler was freaking awesome. Correct. Um, but then uh, he was kind of revealed to be a, a, a Tron and then when he fell into the water that like purified him and he's good but before that when he just randomly decided to save Flynn there was no reason other than he had a headache and thought Flynn's good. And, and then him turning blue in the water was really just to set up another movie. Hopefully. I mean, I wouldn't want Tron to die. Yeah. I think Tron has to live like forever. But my thing about Rinsler is some people say that it was an afterthought. I think they worked really hard to make sure that he wasn't because he has the two discs. And then they show when Tron saves Flynn the first time from Clue that he like gets a disc from somebody else and he's holding the two discs the exact same way. And like Flynn recognizes Rensler as Tron. I think Clue yeah. is a powerful enough program because it's revealed that he can't, he can't create programs. He can only repurpose or destroy them. And so it seems that he oh, destroyed yeah. Tron, but I think Clue repurposed Tron. And eventually because Tron is really about the same level of a program as Clue, he's able to resist Clue. Okay, yeah. But I think Clue is, as a villain, he's okay. Um, he has good moments, and then he has really bad moments. His whole plot, I mean, doesn't make any sense. He's going to take over the world or something. And he does the speech again that they showed Kevin Flynn do, but it's some... It's, I mean, Kevin Flynn's original speech wasn't great, but this one was even worse. I think we should talk about the themes in the movie before we wrap up, just because if we don't touch on them, we're bad tacklers. Uh, well, if people saw me in my fiscal size, they would just say I'm a bad tackler. But yeah, I agree. So in this one, the users are gods again. But I think for sure this one tries to break down that Kevin Flynn is, if nothing else, a bad deity. And I, had to, I did some reading, and I don't think you would expect me to go here, Tim, but we got to talk about Taoism. Ah, you read the same article I did. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So the second one especially does with Clue and Kevin Flynn. It's definitely a Taoist kind of vibe. And Kevin Flynn has become this, like, meditator, and he's like, but then, of course, Jeff Bridges just, like, throws it off, like, you're messing with my Zen thing, man. Him saying man, it just... It's fantastic. I, I It was just a weird uh, <laughs> character gimmick. It was, it was... I know it was part of the religion thing, but I think he was just high. <laughs> Maybe. But there's a lot of Kevin Flynn, old Kevin Flynn's thing in Legacy is he wants to do nothing to cause something to happen or, like, you'd be amazed at how much, like, doing you can do by doing nothing. And that's very, uh, very Taoist. There's a, there's a writer that pretty much says exactly. But also there's some Buddhist things in there. And so there's a line that he says, at one point, Kevin Flynn says, chaos, good news. That's like literally yeah. word for word a Buddhist saying. So mm -hmm. I'm not Buddhist, nor am I Taoist. But I thought those were interesting. And it makes for a even crazier sci-fi fiction series will we get yeah. another one i don't know will i watch the tv show without falling asleep probably not mm -hmm. 
I, th I think the second one um, continued the the world of the first one, but made drastic improvements to the the vehicles and the look of the world, and I think that made it a more enjoyable movie. I and um, go ahead. What? Yeah, go ahead. I just think, like in conclusion, that. I've really always enjoyed Tron Legacy. I saw it in theaters and I hadn't seen the original Tron, but it's just such a fun movie. Like, I've had yeah. fun watching it. I don't regret seeing it. I've seen it a bunch of times now. I mean, this is the second time I've seen it this year, and I still really enjoyed it. And I think it's a good enough sequel that it should have warranted another one, even though it hasn't. And yeah. I don't want to talk about the potentials for a third one until I see some more solid things. But... It was a really but good movie. Along those lines, you should see both of them. For the the, uh, the second one came out in 2010, and uh, it is now 2020. And for 10 years, we have been hearing rumors of a third movie, and probably for another 10 years, we will continue to hear rumors of a third movie. And uh, the the distance time distance between the first one and the second one was almost 30 years, so we still have a little bit of time to wait. And I think for that amount of time, we'll continue to hear about rumors. So, if you hear them, especially from We Got This Covered, don't put much grain into it, but we'll see. I like the dream. In the words of Kevin <laughs> Flynn, I dreamed of Tron. Tron's it just too happen cool. very often. They should, just, they should just have a movie with Tron again. Uh, I think they could recast Tron, and it would be good. I think they could have a younger yeah. Tron, and it would be a really good movie. But personal yeah. opinion. Tim, you want to see us out? Yep. Uh, thank you for joining Spencer and Tim as we talk about Tron and uh, the legacy. And we hope to, to, for you to hear us again as we tackle the next series. And, and uh, it's... Yes? And Tim will be back in a couple of weeks to talk about Percy Jackson's Sea of Monsters with us. So, I will. Yeah, super cool. All right, peace out, kids. Don't do drugs. <laughs>